Jonah chapter 3. We're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 5 together. Starting in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breath, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be in this room together, sitting before your word, this specific word, Lord. And we ask that, Lord, you would be good, gracious, and kind to us. And you would take this word and you would sow it into our hearts, that you would help us to hear your voice speak through your word. And Lord, that you would give us the ears not only to hear, but hearts to receive it and respond appropriately to your word. For Lord, we want to be doers of your word and not simply hearers only. And so Lord, we just recognize that for this to actually happen, we are absolutely dependent upon you and your mercy and your grace. And so Lord, would you give us more of your spirit? Lord, we need you. Would you glorify your name through the way we interact with your word? And Lord, we just want to communicate. Lord, we we absolutely love you and are grateful for who you are and the ways in which you are at work, the ways in which you have been at work, and the ways in which you promise to be at work in the lives of those that love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, I think most of you have met my dad at some point, if you've been around. Um, He doesn't live here, he lives in uh, Michigan, and I get to talk to him probably every Sunday. So when I leave here, one of the things we have, we do is I get in my truck, and when I drive home at some point, I give him a call, and and we catch up on the week. That's that's pretty much the only time we talk uh, during the week, and he expects me to call him, and so I call him. If I don't call him, it just doesn't work out, and that's fine. We just we figure we'll get it again the next week. Anyways, I bring all that up. My, my dad is not a big talker. He doesn't, he doesn't say a lot, but when he does speak, sometimes it's pretty funny. Uh, sometimes he's got these pithy statements. Sometimes what comes out of him are uh, just like these... These, this, these wisdom statements that sort of just roll around in my head and probably my siblings' head and my kids' head. When they think of these sayings, they think of my dad. Um, but again, he doesn't, he doesn't speak a lot. You have to sort of 
beg him at times, or I do, to get, to get any advice out of him. But he does have these little sayings, and they kind of show up every once in a while in my life. And I've shared, I think, some of them with you at different points throughout the years. But recently, there's been this one uh, that's sort of been sticking out to me as I kind of just walk through life. And I find myself... It's probably like this for you. As you get a little bit older, you find yourself being a little bit more like your dad in, in ways. Or you hear it come out of your, your mouth when you say things. But anyways, there's this one saying that he'll say to me when I start to talk to him about hard things. Or, you know, I'm doing something. It doesn't quite go the way I want it to go. And so what he'll typically tell me is he'll go, you know what they say? That's how he starts these things. Like, no, what, what do they say? And he says, they say you always pay for an education. And so that's the one that's been rolling around in my mind. I, I don't know if you guys have ever heard that before or in some way, but, but what it means is like you, you don't always go to college or go to school to learn things. The way in which life sort of works is we're always learning something. And that's kind of what he's, what he's getting at here. It doesn't matter what you're, you're walking through uh, if you're curious and you want to learn, then you're going to get an education. You're, you're going to just learn something. So in a simple way, it's like this. My kids, one of them in particular, is, you know, they, or they all have gone through driving school, all four of my kids. And I'm assuming if you drive, you've, you've done the same thing. You've studied, you, you kind of, you know the laws. And so you get that education, and so you pay for that, so then you can get get your license, and you got these things where you know this stuff, but you don't really know it until you get pulled over by that police officer, right? So you know that you have to obey the traffic laws, but when that police officer pulls you over, it's a completely different education, isn't it? You feel it. It's more than just, yeah, you got to go the speed limit, but when you actually have to then go to court and talk to the what is it, the prosecuting attorney, you talk to them and, and then they have a conversation with you and they can either be kind and gracious or they can make you pay the full penalty. And it's at that moment when you reach into your wallet and you've got to actually pay that $150 that, that you get another education. So there's one that you're paying for. And this happens in, in many different ways as well. A lot of times the education that my dad's talking about and the one that we're going to learn about in this text this morning, you don't pay for it with money. But instead, a lot of times, the, the really good educations that we get from the Lord, we end up paying for with time. Or you, you might pay for it with a relationship, a difficult relationship that doesn't go the way you wanted it to go, or you might have broken it in some way, and, and you learn a lesson. It, it really just seems like in those hard moments in life is when we learn the most. And maybe that's just me, but it seems like when... When we don't win is when we really want to pay attention to those, those things where why didn't we win in this situation? What, what did I do wrong here? Does that make sense? So in life, we do, we do pay for an education. And I share this with you this morning because in the book of Jonah, we find Jonah personally receiving an education from the Lord in God's grace. He didn't pay for this education with money by attending the best seminary around at the time. But instead, what, 
we've seen him paying for it really through hardship and really almost his life because of his own sin. See, Jonah was a man who preached the grace of God, but he actually failed to truly understand it at a heart level. And when God had asked him to preach this grace to the evil Ninevites, he refused and he ran away from the presence of God, but God did not let him run far. Instead, God pursued Jonah and extended his grace once again to Jonah by saving his life. So in this chapter, we're going to see that God's gracious purpose always succeeds. Although it often unfolds in a way that is surprising to us. This is probably why when I think of the Apostle Paul, him writing the following about the gospel to the Corinthians. And so the Apostle Paul wrote sort of about this mystery in a good way. 1 Corinthians one twenty-five. he writes this. He says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The gospel and God's grace doesn't make sense to unbelievers, but to those who are saved by God, we understand it to be the power of God to save people. To save us. So we're going to take a look at these five verses this morning and sort of break them down into three points or three parts as we see God's grace sort of unfold in Jonah's life as well as the Ninevites. In our first point, we see this. The Lord graciously restores Jonah. Point number one, the Lord graciously restores Jonah. So chapter three begins with God extending a second chance to Jonah to go to Nineveh and to speak on God's behalf his message to them. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. It says the following, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I'll say that again. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So if you remember, if you just want to look back to chapter 1, and I'm going to read it here in a second, but it's, it's very similar to the first time. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, here, here's what the Lord said. He said, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But that first time, when Jonah got that first call, from the Lord. He, he didn't arise and immediately go to Nineveh. Instead, what did he do? Yeah, he, he immediately got up and he immediately began to run as far away from the presence of the Lord as he possibly could. He went down to Joppa and he got into a boat and he went to the farthest point in the boat that was set off for Tarshish, really just a city that he thought in his mind would be the farthest away from God as possible and really far away from Nineveh because he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to take God's message to these evil Ninevites, these people who hated God and hated God's people. He didn't want to extend God's grace to them. He didn't want to see God do a work in Nineveh because he didn't think they deserved it. And so he ran. But God did not let him run far. Instead, God hurled a great storm at Jonah, stopping this ship from moving further away 
stopping him from running. And eventually, Jonah found himself being hurled into a raging storm, into this sea that was raging, as he was a sacrifice to save the people on that ship. And eventually, Jonah found himself in the belly of a great fish, wrestling with the fact that one moment he was almost drowning. He was at the bottom of the sea. If you go back and you read it, it was like, it was like he was imprisoned there, entangled by all the seaweed and the weeds and, and unable to breathe. And the Lord sends this great fish and it swallows him. And now he's in this fish and he's, he's praying and he's having this moment before the Lord. And the Lord's capturing his heart and revealing himself to him. But it's inside this fish where Jonah realized that he couldn't run from the presence of the Lord. That the Lord wouldn't let him continue to go. But instead, it's also inside this belly of this great fish that he realized that God was kind. And God was gracious to him by saving his life from drowning. You see, what what we learn and what we see is in that moment, what Jonah deserved was to actually drown in the bottom of that sea. Jonah was a man who preached God's grace, but then found himself running from God's grace sinning against the Lord, rebelling against the Lord, drowning in the bottom of the sea. And what he deserved for his sin was to stay at the bottom of that sea as judgment for his rebellion. But God was kind to him and God was gracious to him. God did not treat Jonah the way he deserved to be treated for his rejection and rebellion against God. And once Jonah truly came to understand God's grace in this way, and by that I mean he felt it personally. Once he was a man, he he could tell the Israelites about God's grace and about how good and gracious God is. And I don't I I believe he believed it, but I, I don't I don't know that he felt it and really understood in his own heart just just how much he needed God's grace personally. And so what we have here up to this point is we, we have Jonah really wrestling with God and God revealing just how much Jonah really needs God's grace in a, in a personal way. That it's not just something he tells people about, but it's something that he actually needs. And it's something that he's actually experienced through that whole ordeal of him being thrown into the sea and swallowed by a great fish and being kept alive and having that fish vomit him out on dry land. God did not treat Jonah the way he deserved to be treated. And that's what we call grace. God not treating us the way that we deserve to be treated for our own sin and our own rebellion. And once Jonah truly came to understand God's grace in this way, he repented of his sin. He repented of his sin. That's what he did in the belly of that fish. He was repenting and he was thanking the Lord for his kindness and his grace. And part of that repentance was not just a confession, but it was a turning away and turning to the Lord. And so he turned back to the Lord, trusting in the Lord, following the Lord. And what's amazing about this story is not only did the Lord miraculously save Jonah by sending a great fish to swallow him, and that's amazing. That's the thing they write those, those children's storybooks about. That's the one you'll probably go find your kid somewhere in his room or her room. You probably read this story to them. But, but what's even more amazing 
then this great fish swallowing him and vomiting on dry land is found right here. It's his repentance and his trust in the Lord. And then, and then the fact that the Lord gave Jonah a second chance. That's amazing. Just read through that over and over and over again. And the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. See, the second chance here, it teaches us a lot about God's grace. It teaches us a lot about God's grace. O. Palmer Robertson writes the following. He's a theologian scholar. He says, God forgets. And never holds the thing against you. Think of how wonderful are the implications of that one fact for your life. God simply does not hold grudges against his people who humble themselves and ask his forgiveness through Jesus Christ. That's what we see happening here with Jonah. Jonah humbled himself because God humbled him and got him at the bottom of the sea and inside a belly. And finally he just said, Lord, okay, I trust you. But when he did humble himself, the Lord, again, we see him giving him a second chance. It's amazing. Richard Phillips writes the following about God's grace in this way. Richard Phillips has written a commentary. And so he said this, Jonah was given a second chance by God. Just as God's people often receive second, third, and 77th chances when they repent and call upon the Lord. Now, that, just that reference, if you're confused, 77, he's just talking about, we get, we get so many second chances. We get a first chance, a second chance, a third chance, just infinite number of chances. And we see this throughout Scripture when people humble themselves before God, God graciously giving them second, third, fourth, fifth chances. Abraham received a second chance. Moses received a second chance after he killed an Egyptian. And the one that I always go to, if you're ever around me and we start talking about sin and we just start talking about God's grace, the one that really amazes me is when I think about King David. Here's a man after God's own heart. God raised him up. Great King David. Again, lots of stories, lots of children's stories about how great David is. But the amazing thing when I think about David is God's grace in his life. Because this is also true of King David. He was lazy. Should have been out to war one day fighting with his people in battle. But instead he's on the rooftop being lazy. Being undisciplined. Not doing what he was supposed to be doing. And he gives in to lust. Commits adultery. And then he tries to cover it up. And so what he does in covering it up, he tries to do these little maneuvers and lie, and, and he puts Bathsheba's husband in harm way. He eventually just kills her husband. So we have a, an adulterer, a lazy adulterer, and he's also a murderer. And we celebrate him as a man after God's own heart. Was he a man after God's own heart? You betcha. He was. Because God's grace was at work in his life. Because God didn't give up on him. There were consequences for his sin. But he continued to be king. Continued to lead God's people because of God's grace in his life. And I just find that amazing. It's humbling. 
to think that's who our God is. And so you might hear me say this a lot. I always thank the Lord for being good and gracious. We sing about it because it's true. Because the reality is we're a lot like King David. We just don't always like to admit it. We like to think that we are better than we really are at times. Therefore, when we think this way, we minimize God's grace in our lives. And then we minimize the extension of that grace to others. So instead of being gracious, we end up being self-righteous. But what we see here is that we have a God who loves to forgive our sins. Loves to forgive our sins. And not treat us the way we deserve to be treated, but instead treating us the way Jesus deserves to be treated. For his perfect righteousness. So that when we repent of our sins and turn back to him, he, he, he invites us to come. He invites us to receive a second chance. He invites us to be restored to him. Think about your own life for a moment. Think about all the sin that you rack up each and every day. All the ways in which you ignore the Lord either passively or actively. All the ways in which you just sort of turn away from the Lord and just do your own thing. Think about your most embarrassing sin. Or the one that really just sort of hurts the most to even look at or talk about. Now think about God's grace. See, that, that sin, whatever it is, those sins that you're thinking about, if, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, here's what you need to know because here's what's most true. They're all forgiven. All of them are forgiven. And you've been clothed with the righteous robe of Jesus Christ so that when the Lord looks down upon you and when he seeks to interact with you, he's not interacting you because in a such a way where he's holding a grudge because you're some worthless person that can't get it right every day. Instead, he looks down upon us. This is how justification works. He sees Christ. See, we have a loving God who is good and gracious to those who trust in him. And this is amazing. And we see a glimpse of this in Jonah's life. He's given a second chance. This is what makes God's grace so amazing. Listen, he never gives up on his people. And sometimes we just need to hear that every day, don't we? Because we like to give up on people. And then we can begin to think that that's how God treats us, that he just sort of gives up on us, that he might be an all-loving, good, and gracious God, but that doesn't extend to me. But that's just not true. God never gives up on his people. He never casts us aside to sort of figure things out on our own so that we can then go off, clean our own selves up, so that when we get to that place, then we are ready then to approach him and be used by him for the service that he's called us to. That, that's not what we see happening here with Jonah. Jonah tried to run. The Lord pursued. Jonah didn't want anything to do with God and God's ways, but God came after him and God gave him the faith. God restored him. God saved him. See, our hope is in God. When we fail, God continues to love us in our failure. He continues to pursue us. And by his grace, like he did with Jonah, he, he changes our hearts and empowers us to repent and follow Jesus again 
and again and again, day after day after day after day. And this is why grace is so amazing. So amazing. It gets more amazing because Jonah wasn't only forgiven of his sins, but what we see here is he was restored to being a prophet again. This is very similar to what takes place in our lives when Jesus saves us. Here's what I mean by that. Through Adam's sin and our own, we lost our status as God's people. But through Jesus, we've gained that status back by faith alone in him. See, when we trust in Christ, he forgives us of our sins and he restores us to this right relationship with God. So it's not just forgiven, as amazing as that is, there's restoration that takes place. Richard Phillips again writes the following, he says, Christians are children of God and lights in the world, declaring God's praises through our witness and works. Every Christian who has turned to the Lord for forgiveness from sin also finds the great purpose and meaning of his life that had been lost in the paths of sin. I think here's where it gets real for us. If this is the way that God treats us, gracious, kind, Always at work, not casting aside, but, but being gracious. If this is how he treats us, how could we not treat one another this way? If God forgives us and restores us, how can we not do the same to others? If God gives us a second chance and even a 77th chance, then who are we not to extend this same grace to others? Now, I, I know this is a little bit different in some ways. I, I recognize as I'm, as I'm writing this, I'm just thinking, okay, there, there's got to be exceptions. And there are in some ways. Jo- Jonah repented. The Lord was at work in Jonah. But even that as I'm thinking, okay, so Jonah's sort of humbling himself. He's sort of repenting. But what we're going to see is, is he doesn't do a great job at it. He just sort of reluctantly goes and does what he's supposed to do. But at the end of this book, you're going to see him just saying, Lord, please just kill me. I know you did what you just did, and I don't like it. Can you just take me out of this place? Which, again, I think is amazing because it just highlights God's grace. And it's really instructive for us. But I think really what's at work here is is a call for us to be gracious. I think one of the reasons that we fail to be gracious to others is that like Jonah, we don't really know this grace personally in such a way that it just flows from our hearts. We can talk about grace or we can even sing amazing grace on a Sunday morning. But even as we sing it, we're really wrestling what's so amazing about it. And I say that's a gift from God. That can be cultivated. Amazing grace becomes amazing grace when you recognize just how sinful you really are. How bad you really are. How much you really don't love Jesus and God, but yet he pursues you. That his love is greater. And that Jesus really did die on a cross for all of your sins. And and I think in some way God's kind to us. He doesn't let us see just how bad we really are. How much sin really exists in our hearts. 
And so when we fail to really understand the depths of our sin, I think it's hard for us to really understand the abundance of God's grace, which then can lead to us sort of being self-righteous because we actually think we're pretty good. So then when somebody sins against us or starts to make our life just a little hard or in such a way, or we can look at somebody who's doing something that maybe we wouldn't do, that we kind of have this self-righteous attitude towards them. And instead of being gracious, we, we're not gracious. We're actually harsh. We give them the old, I can't believe you would do that. But again, in those moments, I just think, what about David? Look what he did. But I would bet if we were to take a poll, really in our heart of hearts, we'd all probably say, I don't think I'd ever do what David did. But I think if the Apostle Paul was here, he'd probably say, no, you would. Because it's worse than you think. God is kind and he's gracious to us. Is grace amazing to you? Would you say that you're a gracious person? Would you say that you are overwhelmed at times with God's kindness and grace towards you? That it sort of just flows out in your speech and in your conduct especially towards those who have hurt you or have sinned against you. This leads us to part number two. Jonah responds to the Lord's grace with obedience to the Lord. So after Jonah received his second chance from the Lord to go preach God's message to the people of Nineveh, what did he do? He went. Verse three, so Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. That just means it's big. It's a really big city. It's kind of an important city, kind of a military city, but it was big. It was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. I, this is like back notes, just commentaries. This is what I like. Like they have to try to figure out what does that mean, like three full days. Does it include like that one city that's big, or does it include the region? I, I think the point here is it's just a really big city, really important city. It's Nineveh. It's the one that God had called. Jonah to go to. He just wants you to know it's big. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So, what we see here is God's grace changed Jonah's life. He wasn't doing this prior to his really experience of God's grace at the bottom of the sea and in the belly of this great fish. It just, it radically changed him. He got up and he went and he did what the Lord had called him to do. His grace or God's grace led to obedience. Again, Richard Phillips writes the following. He says, in this way, we realize that Jonah's rebellion had actually served the purpose of God. God is never to blame for our sin. Yet in his sovereign plan of grace, he uses even our folly, sin, and rebellion as occasion for achieving the designs of his grace. So when Jonah received his second call to Nineveh, he answered it as a man who had been changed by grace. Okay, I know it's a lot, but what I'd say is, is write this quote down, find it on our website, and think through it. Here's why. What he's saying here is, he said, in this way we realize that Jonah's rebellion actually had a purpose. Okay? What he walked through, the hardship, the pain, being at the bottom of the sea, just turning away from the Lord. He's saying it had a purpose. 
And we've been talking about this a lot, meaning, do, do you believe in a sovereign God or not? Do you believe in a God who's at work in all things for the good of those who love him? And I'd say we do, right? Talk about this in members class. We believe in a sovereign God, and we believe Romans 8, 28 to be true. And he's just saying, that's what we see here. But what he's also saying is, it's not God's fault. God is not responsible for Jonah's sin. But what God is, he's good and gracious. And he uses that whole episode to get to Jonah's heart. This is sort of an objective view of a very crazy situation that's happened. And I, and I just recommend sometimes when you find yourself in a, a very difficult situation in life, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, just back up for a second and just take an objective 30,000 foot view of what's taking place. Away from all the emotion. And, and what Richard Phillips is saying here is God's at work. He's not responsible for Jonah's sin, but his grace is at work. And he's always at work. And, and what he's doing is he's changing Jonah's heart. He's preparing Jonah to be his messenger, to go into Nineveh, this great city with all of these unbelievers, to speak his word that they might receive God's grace. I love this. His grace revealed to Jonah that he himself was a great sinner who had been forgiven by God. Now, do you think if he believed that in his heart of hearts, he was ready to share this message with them? He didn't believe it at first. That's why he didn't go. But this whole thing changed him so that he did go. And he did speak on God's behalf. You could say that Jonah was was probably more equipped now to go to Nineveh than he was before. Because of this grace in his life. Again, this is like a 30,000 foot view. God is always at work. Going after our hearts. Changing our hearts. Preparing us to be his people. To walk out his purposes. We don't always know what they are. But we know who he is. So this time, Jonah would be going with a different attitude. One of grace. Which he knew personally. One in which he could say something like this to the Ninevites. You're about to be judged by God. In fact, 40 days and this city will not exist because of your evil and wicked ways. But let me tell you about the God who created all of this. The God who will judge you for your sins. Let me tell you what he did in my life. Because I rebelled against him. I ran from him. I was hurled into a sea. I was drowning at the bottom of the sea. But that God who's going to judge you, he saved me. Came after me. He, He sent a giant fish. Yeah, I know it sounds crazy, but a giant fish swallowed me. I was there for three days. And he spit me out on dry land. That, that God who saved me, he can save you too. If you turn from your wicked ways. If you humble yourself and you trust in him, he might be kind and gracious to you and save you. But if you don't, you're done. Forty days, this city will not exist. Neither you, your wife, your kids, none of it will be done. You see, God's grace changed him. He couldn't share that message if he had went the first time. 
But he gets to share it this time. So here's my question. Have you ever noticed how God's grace softens hearts? Like when you really get a hold of it and you understand Christ really shed his blood for you. And you really needed him to do that. Because there's nothing good in you. Scripture is very clear. None of us are good. None of us are righteous. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us deserve any of God's mercy, kindness, and blessings. But God, being rich in mercy, he saved us. All of us are dependent upon him. And so that, that message softens hearts. That message, when internalized and understood by the grace of God, it, it, it comes out when we speak to others graciously. Isn't God's grace amazing? It came out in Jonah's life. Verse 4, it said, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh, or 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's amazing because he was able to communicate God's word to these people and they believed. This leads us to our third and final point. The people of Nineveh received the Lord's grace and believed God. So Jonah walked a day's journey into Nineveh, met with certain people. And so I I don't know how this went. We don't have all the details. He probably could have been going and talking to people as he was checking in. But he walked a day into this great city, probably looking to formally meet with certain important men and telling people along the way that good message that God's judgment and God's grace. And verse 5 tells us this, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So we we know he probably shared more than just that one message because Jesus refers to Jonah in Luke 11 saying this, when the crowds were increasing, he, Jesus, began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of of Jonah, for as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh. And so he's just referencing here. Jonah probably shared his life with them. The grace of God at work in his life, communicating to them. And so not only was the law communicated, but God's grace was communicated. And God gave the Ninevites grace to believe. That, that should amaze us. I know, I know we're, we're sort of far away from Nineveh in years. But we're talking about a city. Coming to know the Lord. Because one man walked into it and trusted in the Lord. And the grace of God radically changed these people. That's a revival. I don't know that we've seen it. Ricardo, have we seen something like this? It's the grace of God at work. Richard Phillips writes the following. He says, if God's grace in Nineveh began with the law, then where was the gospel? The answer is that Jonah himself presented the gospel. He was a living sermon on the grace of God that brings life to the dead and delivers sinners from just condemnation. It's amazing grace. This is the power of God to save people. One last quote. O. Palmer Robertson writes the following. He says, It was not the force of the argument presented by the prophet that moved the people. It was the power of God's truth that pierced 
to the heart. Never rely on your own persuasive powers as the way to save sinners. Never wait until you have confidence in yourself to speak up for Christ. It is God and his truth that people believe. You must remain only the instrument. So what he's getting at here sort of at the end of this is, is you have Jonah going into the city and he's just he's sharing God's message with God's people. Do you think he was afraid just a little bit? I mean, even though he just got vomited out by this great fish, he still went. But these people were hostile to him. Yet he still went. And, and he, w- he was just proclaiming God's word. And, and what we see here, and I think what we want to be encouraged by, is the grace of God really changes hearts. Not just our hearts. It, it changes even the hardest of hearts. Because it is the power of God to save. The good news about Jesus, it just it breaks down walls of hostility. And so we too have been given a message to proclaim to the world around us. We've been called by God to go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. We're called by God to be his witnesses. And I share that quote with us because I think a lot of times we can talk ourselves out of actually proclaiming this good news about Jesus to the people around us. Because we can begin to, if you're anything like me, you can begin to think, well, I don't really know this about that. And if they ask me this, I won't have a really good answer for it. Therefore, I'm just going to be quiet. But there's a call here to trust in the grace of God. Trust the grace of God at work in your life. And trust that the grace of God will be at work in those who will hear the good news about Jesus. Because we don't save anybody. Who saves people? God saves people, and so our hope and our confidence is in God who saves through the good news of Jesus Christ. Our hope is not in ourselves, but solely in the grace of God. So in closing, I want to ask just a couple more questions for you to think about this week. Number one, are you grateful to God for his grace in your life to save you? I know it's an easy yes. Yeah, I'm I'm really grateful. And I am too. But think about it. Are you really grateful? How often do you thank the Lord for saving you? How often do you just stop and just think, Jesus' blood was shed for the way I just spoke to my kids. Jesus' blood was shed for that lie I just shared. Jesus' blood was shed, for you name the sin. Are you grateful? Number two, do you know that God is extending this same grace to the people around you? Meaning that grace that you enjoy, that grace that you love, it's it's not just for you. God is building his kingdom. The gospel is advancing to the ends of the earth. He's seeking to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. People from all over the world. You know that this grace is being extended outside of you. Number three. Do you know that God has called and equipped you? You. To be a means of grace and to share this good news about Jesus to the people around you. So it kind of boils down to this. Do you like God's grace? That's amazing. Do you want to extend that grace to others? 
Do you want to treat others the way that the Lord has treated you? Number four, and this is the final one, and then I'm going to pray. It really comes down to this. Will you respond to this grace with obedience today? Will you respond to this grace at work in your life with obedience to the Lord today? So what that might look like, that might look like you forgive somebody. That might look like, hey, you're not going to yell and scream at the person who just sort of got in your way. But instead, you're going to pause and you're going to ask a question. You're going to be kind. That might look like you not critically judging somebody that doesn't do something the way you want it to be done. What does it look like? I don't know what it looks like in your life. You've got different people that you're interacting with. But when you think about the way the Lord treats you, not the way your sins deserve to be treated, what does you responding to this grace look like to the people in your life today and extending that grace? I would say this. It, it, it probably looks kind. It probably looks like mercy. And it probably looks a whole lot like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. Lord, it is amazing. Help us to see it more clearly, Lord, because the truth is our hearts grow hard towards it. We get too familiar with it. At times we can take it for granted, Lord. May we never take it for granted. Lord, keep our hearts soft to it. Help us to love Jesus more than anything else in this world. Help us to run to Christ, to cling to the cross, to live in the good of the gospel, and to be a means of grace to those around us, Lord. So give us opportunities, Lord, to extend your grace through the preaching of the gospel to unbelievers, to even believers, to our kids, Lord, to all who need to hear this good news, we pray. And Lord, we ask for your blessing as we leave, that you would watch over and protect us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. May the Lord bless you. May he pour out his spirit upon you. Have a great Sunday.